You're listening to a recording from the Arkansas Association of Instructional Media Conference, April 28th through 30th in Rogers, Arkansas. Enjoy the program. Hey, welcome back to the Edge of Tech, guys. We have our next guest in the seat, and we're going to let her tell us who she is and where she's from and all that kind of good stuff. So here we go. Yeah. Great. My name is Carla Kaluma Clafferty. I'm actually, I live in Benton, Arkansas, and I'm here at the AIM conference to speak about my brand new book, Buried Lives, the Enslaved People of George Washington's Mount Vernon. Oh, wow. Oh, man. That's wow. definitely a, a part of history that a lot of people don't, they don't focus on when you think of enslaved peoples, right? It's generally the South, you know, everything from the Mason-Dixon line South, and people don't necessarily remember or know, well, remember, I'm using that term very loosely, but you know what I mean, they don't necessarily (laughs) understand that there were enslaved people above the line as well. So talk a little bit about that. Right. And actually, Virginia would have been considered part of the South, really. They they very much uh, consider themselves Southerners, I think. Um, You know, I really didn't want to write a book about slavery in general. Mm -hmm. I didn't even want to write a book about slavery in in general at Mount Vernon. Mm -hmm. My goal was to write a book about a specific individual enslaved people. So in the what I did was, uh, after doing lots and lots of research at Mount Vernon, I chose six specific people, and basically I've written biographies of those people. Mm. Uh, I also included in this book um, the archaeological dig that's taking place at Mount Vernon mm-hmm. in the Slave Cemetery. Mm-hmm. Oh. So I kind of have put together several different things to make it, you know, one story that makes sense. And But, but that's kind of the book that I wanted to write was really one where a reader could really get to know specific individuals on a on a on a deeper level sure. instead of just the nameless faceless idea of slavery uh, 200 years ago right, right. yeah exactly. so correct me if i'm wrong I, I i i love history and i love mount vernon and i love the things about it and so much went on there it was a massive community and the enslaved people were part of that. They made everything from the nails to build the houses to the whole bit. It was a, it was a massive undertaking. It was a huge community in, in of itself. It is a, It was absolutely a massive undertaking. And George Washington was very detail oriented. And so, um, as a as a slave owner, um, he wanted everything to be done that was could possibly be done on his own estate. Mm. If he had a, a skill, if he needed a skill that he didn't have. Um, within his workforce of enslaved people, he rented enslaved people to fill that specific job. One of those people is uh, actually, I I talk about a highlight in the book. His name is Peter Hardiman, and he was rented by George Washington to be an expert man who took care of not only the stables, but took care of his racehorses and knew how to, to, to care for horses and animals and uh, then actually in the end toward the end of, of Washington's life um, he actually ran the mule breeding business oh wow wow yeah so uh, it's really a, a fascinating story I think of 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 the idea that not only did did they own enslaved people but they rented people right mm-hmm. yeah yeah well, so the the enslaved people weren't always just African descendants either were they they were a lot of people came over I didn't know if George Washington had other in you know other indentured servants that came from you know Europe and areas like that 
for the for the most part, he had African African um, enslaved people. Mm-hmm. There were there were a few indentured servants at Mount Vernon that worked. For example, one of them was Andrew Judge, who uh, was was a, I think a weaver. And so there were a, a handful of indentured pe- white servants, mm-hmm. um, but the great majority were, mm-hmm. were African enslaved people. Um, and actually, Andrew Judge, the reason I kind of thought of him first is he is probably the father of Oni Judge, who is one of the people that I highlight in the book. Oh, wow. So uh, one of the fascinating things that I saw in my research and, and actually is in my book, Buried Lives, is the indenture paper for Andrew Judge that is still that is in the Library of Congress. Wow. Oh, wow. So wow. it's really fascinating. He could not read or write and signed it with an X. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So that, that's really, you know, that sounds like a really intriguing read. Uh, there's one that just grabs your attention and just like, okay, who's the next person? Give me more information. Um, that that really sounds awesome. So, any great epiphanies or like, wow, this really came to you as you were writing this book that you realized this is and, and helped change the book possibly, change your whole direction. You know, I think the thing that I always think of as as the turning point for me. Um, as a writer who writes about history and I write basically biographies, there's always a moment when when the story, and, and I'm talking story in, in terms of true story, mm-hmm. I, I write straight nonfiction, which means I don't, I don't take, you know, I don't make anything it up, mm-hmm. up at all. Um, there's always a moment for me that, that it really gets real. Mm-hmm. And for me, in this book, in Buried Lives, I was doing research in the, the Fred W. Smith Library at Mount Vernon. The, um, it's not a presidential library like, like a lot of them that, we, that we're aware of. It's owned and operated by Mount Vernon. And I was in what I call the inner sanctum of the library where yeah. the rare material mm-hmm. is. And you have to request it, and they bring it on a tray, and it's very... Yeah. It's very white glove, very yeah. <laughs> much white glove, yeah. very, very important, wow. you know, and yeah. it's always such a treat for me as a researcher to see the real thing. You know, I can see things digitally at home, right. but it's not the same as seeing that parchment, as seeing the ink that was written with a quill 200 plus years ago. Right. And um, so for me, with this book, the moment that that really was powerful is when I saw the list of the enslaved people who had been owned by Martha Washington's estate who were going to be inherited by her grandchildren. And so by this point in time, I had already done all of this research. And so I knew all of these people. I knew their mothers, their daddies, their, their spouses, their children, their aunts, their uncles, their cousins. I knew these family organizations within Mount Vernon, and I knew what happened to, to these people. Yeah. So then when I was there in that inner sanctum of the library and then see their names on a list and what their value was, mm. it was very powerful. Oh, really powerful. I can't imagine. Yeah. I mean, it, well, it, it actually, I, I mean, I cried. Yeah. It yeah. was so yeah. powerful. Absolutely. Well, but, along that line, 
Could you speak to the importance of the current dig at the cemetery? Oh, yeah. I, I, I feel so honored to be part of this story, to bring the story of the dig to America, because, um, you know, Mount Vernon has an amazing archaeological department that works all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had, for many years, wanted to do this, and finally the time was right. And they, they intend for it to be a multi-year project. It's not something they're going to start and finish in two years. They're going to uh, take time with it to allow the public to, to be part of it, to see and ask questions and volunteer. They take volunteers. So I had written the entire book and I left space to write about going to dig oh, in the cemetery. Yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. And so, um, you know, we sort of left a little bit of room there. Mm-hmm. And so that was the, the, one of the last things I did was to go and dig for two days in the, in the cemetery dig. And I, I always want to be very clear that they do not and will not ever disturb anybody's remains. They, mm-hmm. they will never dig deep enough to disturb remains. But... Um, to be able to be there after having done all of this this work on on these individuals and then to you know they let me trowel and sift dirt i mean the whole nine yards yeah. and participate and i had the great privilege of helping them uncover grave number 67 oh man so um it was deeply meaningful to me Mm -hmm. and i wrote about it in the book because to me it was like a coming full circle then to start off with this idea of the cemetery dig and then end with the cemetery dig and and really to just to just be part of that and and to see the devotion and respect that the archaeologists have for this project, mm-hmm. it, it was very meaningful to me. Yeah. Do you um, were there individuals that you wish you could have included but weren't able to just because of whatever restrictions, you know, length and time and et cetera, et cetera. And then by extension, do you see additional books coming out to talk about some of those folks? There are several people that I wish I had uh, been able to include. When I first began the idea, I thought I would talk about 12, maybe 15 people. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what I started out thinking. But the further along I went, I realized if I, if I dealt with that many people, it would, I would not be able to go as deep Mm -hmm. with each one. So I thought, you know, the, the wisest thing for me to do is to select six people and go as deep as I could yeah. for six people. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some that I wish I could have uh, of included. One was Charlotte. The, uh, she was a, one of the housemaids. She's she's very feisty, and I would like to have included Charlotte. Yeah. Um, but and there was a, a one a man named Sambo Am- mm-hmm. Anderson, uh, and he's very interesting to me. And but you know, as a as a writer, I I, ch- I chose men and women. I chose them for. One reason was because of their jobs and and the stories that I knew that fit these people. I also chose them because I knew what happened to them in their lives. So um, I wanted to to kind of do a variety of, I hate to use the word outcomes, but different different ways these people ended up, Mm -hmm. you know. And so um, that's really part of my, my book 
also is to to say what happened to them. Sure. You know, um, because that's very important to me to think, you know, here's their lives spent. um, You know, a couple of them are right about escaped. But, um, you know, um, for, for some of them to spend their entire lives enslaved and uh and what what happened to them and where we're like for example carolyn uh the one of the women that i highlight in the book ends up on that list that i talked about um she ends up she and her children and her husband end up at arlington house which is arlington national cemetery um so um what what some people don't really understand is that arlington Arlington House was built by George Washington Park Custis, who was Martha Washington's grandson. Mm. His daughter married Robert E. Lee. Oh, my gosh. So Robert E. Lee and and George uh, Washington Park Custis were married in the parlor of Arlington House. So now within that, that scope of history for me... Now, because I know the story of Carolyn and her children, yeah. now I now I can I overlay their lives over all of that history. Yeah. So it's really it's I, I have a picture of Arlington and and not only the house during the Civil War, but the Arlington House, uh, you know, a, a wide shot showing it as the center of what we now honor as Arlington National Cemetery. Yeah. Wow. wow. That that's amazing. That's really neat. Okay. Yeah. So really quick. Um, for the listeners and for the educators listening and the students, um, the process, the time it takes, the process you go through, could you speak to that a little bit? I'd love to. From the moment that I had the idea for this book until it landed on my front door, uh, front porch finished, was five and a half years. Mm. Wow. Um, it, it is long and involved to do this kind of really deep research. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's a, lot of, a lot of digging, a lot of, of trying to figure out, for me at least, uh, this is a very complex story because I talk about the inheritance laws, which mm-hmm. plays a part in this story. I talk about George Washington's changing views on slavery. I talk about the the archaeological dig plus the lives of all of these people. Right. So I've I've weaved together a very complex story that is at the same time easy to understand. Yeah. And so, which is really what I do. I write I write very complex history, but I write it in a way that's simple to read. And and so um, it is. You know, now I didn't work on it every single day for five and a half years. There were periods of time when my editor had it, mm-hmm. and it was their turn to do their work. Right, uh, right. And they're only in a hurry when I have it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Funny how that's a one-way street. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, but it was it was vetted heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, it was vetted by uh, an African American professor of African American history. Mm. Um, it was vetted by the the main historian at Mount Vernon. And so because of the subject matter, I wanted it to be right. right. I wanted it to be as accurate as, as as possible. And so all of that takes time because then you've, then, then it's according to their schedule mm-hmm. when they can read it, you know, so there's some lag time in there, but, but from beginning to end was five and a half years. Yeah. Wow. Well, and then, you know, and, and one of the things that, that, 
folks may not understand each of the uh, each of those processes you know each of those folks that have to to vet the work you know they read over it they make whatever suggestions corrections whatever and then you get all of that back and you know you take that that, that compilation that. <laughs> yeah of all of these suggestions and edits and then and then you as the author have to ultimately decide you know am i going to include this change do i need this do i need to make that correction do i need to do this do i need to do that and that in itself is another grand part of the writing process and then what some folks may understand is then you have to take all of that and turn it back over and say okay now look at this and Do see it where again. we are uh, you know yeah. it's, a, it's a lather rinse repeat you know <laughs> several times over the course of that five and a half years yeah, it really is. It's 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 far more involved than most people think, mm-hmm. uh, and so that's that's exactly what happens. They they say, well, you know, they'll say things like, uh, well, it probably would be better if you said, you know, they they we believe they came to you know whatever whatever little tweak. That and and everybody who has a specialty, mm-hmm. including myself, you know, you're sure. very very particular about how you phrase things sure. because one word makes it wrong, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Yes. So um, I, they that's exactly what happens, and then I have to you know I, then I have to change the text if I feel like it like it needs to be changed. Mm-hmm. I don't do everything they say. No, actually. right. Uh, so um, you know, I really have to make judgment calls. This is this is right because so-and-so, you know, and so I really, uh, but but it's another revision, basically. Every time, it's another revision. And then, of course, my editor's revising it back and forth, back and forth. So, um, you know, now today we do it electronically, Mm -hmm. you know, but but when I first started, you know. Send it off, mail it off. In those early days, we actually had one hard copy, and we mailed it back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a little easier today. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. But 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 that is one of those things for, for especially, you know, any listeners who have never been exposed to this process you know that that's you think about that there's one copy of this that's going to here and so it's got to go to this person and as you mentioned you know that person's on their own timetable that's not necessarily your timetable and so then you have to wait for that person to do their part and they send it back and then you revise and then that's got to get sent to the next person down the line and uh, it's it's a very long process even even today with it being electronic there's still still a lot of that it's just digital but there's still a lot of that same kind of flow and process that takes place when you're writing a book yeah it's it's much slower than people think you know it's it's not it sounds if you say it fast it sounds fast but (laughs) it's not fast at all exactly (laughs) you you know one of the biggest things you can put the word only it it was only five and a half years exactly exactly during that time how many uh great yeses did you have See, to me, that's the that's what we're trying to let kids. I feel like that's what we're missing in society today is to let students know that intrinsic. Oh yeah, the small wins are the ones that build up to the big one in the in the long run. Yes, there are lots of, of places where, uh, and they're not all on in the book either. Right, you know? right, sure. Um, just for you, just, yeah. Just for me, I, I I really love to see those original documents. So that's there's there's those personal those personal yeses. There's lots of those because yeah. I feel like when when I when I make any kind of connection that I didn't realize before. Like uh, the first time that I uh, realized that George Washington Park Custis uh, in his memoirs mentions 
Hercules meant he writes a lot about Hercules, the the, the chief cook who mm-hmm. who ultimately runs away, mm. and. Um, I was really fascinated because he describes him so, so beautifully. Mm. And, uh, you know, they, they called him Uncle Harkless is what they called him. And uh, they all of these all of these details, um, like, for example, uh, George Washington Park Custis um, describes uh, Hercules during the presidential years when when Philadelphia, when Hercules is the chief cook. And he, um, Hercules had the, the benefit of selling kitchen slops. Oh. And so what that means is, is fat, feathers, mm-hmm. uh, tea that's been used once and dried out and sold again. Um, and so uh, because of his job as the chief cook, he was able to sell slops. And so he made between 100 and $200 a year in Philadelphia, wow. and that's a lot of money. Yeah, sure. And so, um, it, in in the late 1700s, and right. so, uh, but what he did, according to George Washington Park Custis, is that he bought his own fine clothes, and uh-huh. he describes him in in what he wore. Yeah. And so it's just, you know, it's just such a such an, a moment to to then envision him. Walking down the street of Philadelphia after he's done, the state dinner has been cooked, which was his part, and then the steward is going to do dinner, and and Hercules is finished, yeah. and so he goes back to the slave quarters, changes into his own fine clothing, and walks down the street, and and has uh, social interactions with many free black people and enslaved people, white people, all mixed together in Philadelphia. So um, then then the other um, sort of yes moment, you know, to kind of get back to the question is that um, at some point, and, no, and nobody knows when exactly, but Washington sends Hercules back to Mount Vernon. And uh, once this man who has been the chief cook in Philadelphia... Of, of renown, sure, is put to digging clay to make bricks. Oh, yeah. And he runs away on Washington's birthday. Oh, wow. So um, I don't think it's an accident that Hercules runs away on Washington's right. birthday. Right, sure, sure, yeah. yeah. So, you know, there are lots of little tiny pieces that kind of go together when you start looking at dates. Mm-hmm. And you think, oh, okay, well, that's not a random date. That you know, yeah. these things kind of fit together perfectly, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that sounds very exciting. Is, oh, yeah, very I'm cool. excited about the book, and the title again is "Buried Lives: The mm-hmm. Enslaved People of George Washington's Mount Vernon." Well, and if our and listeners want to reach out to you, um, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? I have a website, okay. and and uh, I have a long uh, name. So if you spell McClafferty with two C's. It pops right up. So uh, it's Carla Kalu McClafferty. And I'm easy to find because I have two long and strange names. Yes, that's right. There's not, not going to be a lot of competition <laughs> out there in the online world. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for sitting down with us today. Thank you. And for have having a wonderful me. conference. Thank you. You too. I just want to say, real quick, uh, if folks want to get the book, Oh, they can yes. go to your website and get the book. Is it available other places as well? Um, I, I don't sell it through my webs, website, oh, okay. but it's it's gettable in any bookstore or okay. Amazon. Yeah. Awesome. So it's where books are sold, as they say. There awesome. you go. That's right. 
Well, that is great. Well, thank you. We'll definitely tweet it out. Thank Thank you you so much for having me. You've been listening to a recording from the Arkansas Association of Instructional Media Conference in Rogers, Arkansas, April 28th through the 30th. Thanks for listening.